Welcome to the Productivity Mastery Podcast, presented to you by myself, Stoyan Yankov, Productivity and Performance Coach, Keynote and TEDx Speaker, and co-author of the Perform Methodology, and the book, Perform, The Unsexy Truth About Startup Success. Join me on a journey to discover what some of the world's leading professionals do to be more productive, create peak performing teams, and build successful global companies. New episodes weekly. And now, enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Productivity Mastery. I have a surprise for you. I have an exceptional person, an exceptional guest today with me. And uh, I'm so excited because I had a couple of conversations with this person. And I'm just mind blown by his level of expertise when it comes to leadership. He is a leader at a company you might have heard about. It's called Apple. They're not selling apples. They do something else. Uh, he's the host of Hacking Your Leadership podcast. Everybody who's listening and loves the podcast, uh, make sure to go and check Hacking Your Leadership podcast. More than 700 episodes, more than 7 million downloads. And for a good reason, I'm a fan of the podcast. I've been listening. I've been applying some of the ideas Lorenzo Flores is sharing with his co-host. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Lorenzo, how are you this morning? I'm great, Stoyan. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I We have made it uh, our commitment from the time we started our podcast that when other leadership podcast hosts ask us to be on their shows, we always say yes. Uh, we've had a lot of people reach out to us and that we reached out to initially. And uh, we knew what it was like to say, like, let's have some great dialogue, especially across industries, across the world, uh, to make sure that we're doing our best to help leaders become better leaders. So really excited for the dialogue today. I appreciate having you, uh, Lorenzo, and I appreciate uh, all the great work that you guys do. So let's dive into it. Uh, I want to start with your backstory. So how did your career evolve and was it was it designed was it by plan or or did something happen by accident yeah you know it's funny um i've been in retail leadership for my entire career and it's one of those roles and jobs that you don't uh, you know when you go to the career fair when you're in elementary school in the u.s uh retail leader is not one of those things that a lot of people say um i happened to fall into it because i had a love for music music production and i got uh, you know my early jobs were in retail fast food and then music retail at a, at a small mom and pop music spot in kalamazoo michigan called music galaxy where i could take my love of music production and customer service and kind of bring them together and it's always served me well i've been able to kind of move around the country and do my other passions but while doing that really build skill uh, and establish skill from a leadership standpoint within retail. I know, I also know I'm really, really aware that I've been very blessed with amazing leaders and mentors uh, in my career that have seen that I've had a specific skill and passion for people, for leading people, for empowering people, for inspiring people. And they've continued to elevate my platform uh, in roles across the country with different organizations. So for me, it's just something that I kind of stumbled into uh, I really enjoyed uh, the 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 dynamics and and the uh, I think the the hurdles that come with uh, you know leading people, but also in kind of a customer service type of way. 
and, uh, and, and found a lot of joy in, in not only challenging myself to learn about who I am through learning through other people, but also being able to work with people from all over the world, backgrounds, uh, ethnicities, experiences. And, and I'm a big believer that you can learn more about yourself and learning through people. So I just enjoy having uh, the ability to work with a lot of different people in all walks of life uh, in, in, in the career that I've had. So, again, it's been there's definitely that was not planned. Uh, but I've had a chance to really uh, shape myself and my leadership because of the mentors and leaders that I've had that have helped me to build the skills that I needed and then sharpen the ones that were kind of natural to me as I got into the industry. Today, we're going to talk about leadership. And I want to actually start with the uh, way you finished. Mm. You mentioned mentors. Mm. Who was the first mentor that had the transformative impact when it comes to your leadership? What did mm. you learn from this person? And it's a three-sided question. And how could somebody listening to the show, especially the young leaders, find a great mentor? Um, I, there's two right off the bat in my early days of my retail career. The first one was the owner of that music store in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, his name was Bruce. And uh, when I got there, he goes, man, you you really know a lot about DJing, turntables, music production. And I would love to have you on my team. Uh, because you can really help us when it comes to talking to our customers in a business part that we really don't have a lot of a lot of um, a lot of revenue coming from. And he said, but, you know, what I what I appreciate you more about than your knowledge of these products is how you listen so intently to people, how you're, you're, you're connecting with them. You're finding these common grounds and areas where we sell a lot of guitars and you don't play guitar. But, but you listen to people and then you, you based on your knowledge, you help them understand what guitar might be best for them, even though you have no idea. And just the, the, the quickness of which he was able to assess that and then remind me at that point and say, this is the people business. We sell a lot of musical instruments here, Lorenzo, but what you have is this ability to connect with people, to listen to them and to offer them the things that are important to them based upon that connection that you've made. And he goes, that's your superpower. Hold on to that. So like he was a big, again, not a formal mentor as in I asked him to, but just a leader that I had that really helped me understand how to be a great small business owner and the importance of taking care of your customers and really treating them like friends and family whenever they come to the store. Uh, the second mentor I had was a general manager that I had uh, back in, I don't know, 20-something years ago. And I was a, a supervisor in a big box retailer. And he walked into his first ever leadership meeting with us. And he was a brand new GM. And he looked around the room and he said, somebody in this room will be a better general manager than I will ever be. And my job is to find you and help you get there. And that for me was just mind blowing. I never heard a leader talk like that. I've never heard a leader talk about the, the importance and the responsibility of leading leaders and growing leaders. And that for me was wildly, wildly um, motivating and inspirational. And it made me ask a lot of questions like, like, how could you even think about starting a meeting that way? Why wouldn't you say, these are the numbers. This is where we're at. This is where we're going to go. I was so used to that aspect of leadership that it was just uh, an amazing. And, and to this day, he's a major mentor of mine. 20 something years later uh and, and he's and he's done amazing things in the industries but uh that for me were, were two big things when it comes to the second part of your question around leaders today and finding a good mentor um my advice is that when you hear other leaders say things in a way that inspire you or motivate you or make you challenge your own assumptions and make you think about wait a minute i've never thought about it that way or that person really has a way 
about helping me connect the dots, I want to be able to do that for other people. Um, then I think there's two ways you can do it. You can do it passively and just try to get as much time as you can out of that person, talk to them all the time, uh, ask for conversations, everything. Or if you're having some trouble getting that time scheduled, then ask them say and tell them exactly why. The way you do this, I really appreciate. It's so helpful for me. Would you mind helping me with that and becoming my mentor and giving them the opportunity to be able to invest the time to say yes um, and, and, to, and to go that route? I, I've been in spots before where I've been asked to mentor people. And unfortunately, I've had to say no because my calendar was so full. But it wasn't a no, never. It was just a no, not right now, mm-hmm. uh, because I also have a lot of commitments to other people that I have to make. Uh, but but I appreciate that. And even when I say no, not right now. I typically try to find a way to make sure that I can be available for that person and that leader. And if I can add something on top of this on the mentorship side, people like Lozo, you know, important people, they're usually busy. They're usually really busy. If you're looking for a mentor, don't always think about yourself. Try and think, <laughs> how can I come up from and help this person and create and generate value for this person. And you might think I can generate value for this person. They are so cool. Yes, you can. (laughs) Yes, you can. You never know what they need. Start with offering help. Ask the people that you want to be mentored by, hey, what do you need help with? Mm -hmm. Like you want to be great in a specific area. I don't know, design. Who is the best designer in town? Go to them, knock on the door metaphorically and ask them, hey, what can I help you with? Mm -hmm. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to give you my hours. I'm willing to introduce you to people. I want to learn. I want to be around you. I'm willing to work for free so I can Mm -hmm. learn, right? Like how can you generate value for the other person first and eventually being around these people, you're going to learn. So that's one thing. Uh, but, But you mentioned something really interesting, Lorenzo, at the beginning of answering my question, which with, you talk about how the first mentor find a new something that was unique about you, mm-hmm. uh, and and something that that you were naturally doing. Like you can find leadership lessons anywhere, and and nobody is the same like you, right? Like you yep. you were really good in being curious. You were really good into listening to people, something that you can apply later on. I don't know. Maybe the listener out there, you, you're having a part-time job now. Maybe maybe you were washing dishes as I did as part of my journey, right? Mm-hmm. How can you take this experience and apply it later on? What are the good things about it? What did you learn from this, right? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I want to ask you here a question, mm-hmm. uh, Lorenzo, con- connected to that. When did you... When did you start being aware as a leader about your strengths? Hmm. I think um, uh, there's a lot of strength. So I I think of like you were talking about a little bit of like the recipe for leadership. And I think a big Hmm. part of that is the ability to influence people. And and some people can use that and use it in a negative way. Some people can use it in a positive way. Um, In my life, um, I felt that I've had this natural ability to influence people, usually through comedy and connection. Um, I'm somebody who has a really big sense of humor. Uh, I use that to my advantage. I've been coached before not to overuse it too much, and that happens from time to time. Um, But it's been something that uh, when people are laughing and having a good time, it's really easy to connect with them. It kind of brings the walls down. And so early on, I knew that I had some of these skills, and they were really helpful when I'm navigating 
um, the things that needed to, to navigate. But when it came to to really to leadership, uh, it was it was that moment where I had this small business owner that um, saw something in me and was giving me the responsibility of the keys to his family's business, the ability to open and close things. Like there was this responsibility that I had that I took really seriously. And, and I think that was something that he appreciated. And I started to kind of build this confidence saying, no, 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 like if I'm in charge of something, um, I will take it personally. I will take ownership of it. I will make sure that I hold myself accountable. Uh, I want to do it the right way. And so I started to understand that I had some of these skills that maybe in others, maybe I didn't see the same thing in other people around me. Um, it, it was really, though, when I had that same leader who walked into that, that, that leadership meeting and made that statement about finding the next GM, um, that sat me down uh, a few weeks later and and said to me, like, you know, you've I've talked to a lot of people here. And, and the thing that I've realized is nobody really has anything bad to say about you, which is really unique. Some people say like strengths and opportunities. Some people will have an opinion one way or another. Some people feel that like leaders act this way. But everybody talks about how they just really enjoy your company and being around you. Um, but I know that you get work done because I see your body of work. I see your outcomes. I see that those that work in your departments, um, they get everything done. They're very aligned with expectations. So like I'm wondering, how is it that you've got these relationships that 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 create a space where people could do really, really good work, but also not feel like they have a leader who's over their shoulder uh, and, and maybe trying to, you know, um, apply pressure in different types of ways. And he really helped me to understand that these were really leadership skills and this balance, uh, you know, between making sure that um, I'm showing up for people in the way that I should just as a coworker and as somebody to inspire them, but also that I'm coming with this responsibility. And then what he taught me over time is that there's no balance. There's no balance between people and performance. It's both. That, that people in performance move together, that you build confidence when you have great performance, when you have high performing teams, they create a sense of pride and then they hold each other accountable. And that was a big unlock for me early on. And that's when I started to really understand that like I had this special skill that was really in leadership and when applied correctly, I could have a lot of success. If you can go back and talk to the younger version of yourself that just hired that uh, your first leadership position, what would be your advice to him? Um, celebrate the victories, but only when they are above expectations, right? Early on in my career, because of my kind of positivity and the way that I saw the world. And I wrote about this in my book, which you told me to bring down here. I've got it right here. Um, this story well, about- Stop, stop, stop. Yeah. What's the name of the book? <laughs> Hold on for a yep. second. Let us, let everybody yep. see it. Okay. Your leadership, a leadership crash course on the three pillars of success and vision clarity support is my leadership platform. It is available on Amazon and all different types of places. But I shared this story because um, I led a team one time where- we were getting better, but we were far below the expectation of how we needed to perform. And I had a leader have to pull me aside and say, like, your team loves you, but they're going to allow this business to just completely sink. Um, and, and let's talk about why. And, and so for me, that was a, a lot that I had to learn was that actually accountability and clarity are huge building blocks in building respect amongst the team. And, and then finding ways um, to, to drive outcomes in a, in, a, in a way that also empowers the team. That was really tough for me. I initially thought that like, if people are getting better every day, let's celebrate that. 
and everything will be great. And it's important that they feel supported and they feel that, that I'm a good leader. And what I realized that there is, there is a, there is kind of a, you have to raise the floor and, and we had to achieve expectations. And that's something that I would have given my advice to was like, look, you got to know that accountability and, and, and celebrating the success uh, when, once you've achieved expectations is the critical piece here. Because I think I spent a lot of time uh, struggling to believe that if my team wasn't performing, it was a lack of my leadership personally. And when I realized it was a lack of my leadership skill to communicate clarity of expectations and to be able to, to, to follow up and validate what I'm asking the team to do. Accountability. What a beautiful word. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about accountability. How do we build a culture where accountability is a priority? Uh, well, I think we have to first define it for people because it has a negative connotation. And accountability is like a fiduciary term that just means balance. If you look at like a PL and an accountant looks at it and, and, and being accountable and accountability is like, does it equal zero at the end? Right. Or does it equal the number it's supposed to equal? And so I share that with a lot of our people to say, like, accountability um, is, is not a negative thing. It's a thing that we need to make sure that we are living up to our own commitments. And so we make commitments to ourselves. We make commitments to our team. We make commitments to one another. We make a commitment to the organization that we work for to deliver on these types of things. So really, accountability is making sure that we are doing what we said we're going to do. And, and when you live a life of accountability, you learn to be able to, to, to set goals for yourself, both personally and professionally, that you can now go out there and achieve. So it's not, a, it's not a bad word. It's something that we all need. It's something that we need to understand. And we need to realize that in life, accountability is, is, is a major influencer on the success that we want to have. And so I tend to want to bring up stories and ask people, like, when's the time that you had to make a decision that you're like, I really want to do this, but I know that I shouldn't because it's going to maybe take me off course on something. And you made a decision that really ended up being a good decision for yourself. And people will share those decisions. I'm saying that's accountability. That's what we're talking about here is, is making the, these decisions and holding ourselves to account on what we've committed to. Don't think about it in this small kind of boxed framework of accountability is a boss telling you that you didn't do something a certain way. Like that's, that's a different thing here. And, uh, and so I think we have to define it first and then we have to talk through it and then we have to make it meaningful to the individual to then make it meaningful at work. Do you think people are naturally talented to be accountable uh, or do you think we can coach them into becoming more accountable? Um, it, it reminds me of the question of like, are people, are, are there born leaders Right. Or, or are there like, you know, like is leadership a learning thing? Um, I think accountability is in the same kind of um, same kind same kind of space there, because I think life, life and parents and an environment are going to uh, make people more accountable or less accountable. And here's, a, and here's an example that I give. Um, I was, I'm the oldest sibling. I have a, um, I have a younger sister and two young, much younger brothers, but my younger sister is two years younger than me. And when I was growing up, both my parents worked, I was in charge after school during the summer times. I was in charge of making sure that we did our homework. We played our instruments we were doing what we're supposed to be doing. So I had this level of accountability that I was forced to take on, right? <laughs> I, if I could choose it, I would choose not to have to be responsible, but I had to be responsible. And that's all that I knew. And that was what kind of led me. So like I can go one of two spaces. I can have that level of accountability in the moment that I break free, 
I can toss that all away and say, I never want to be accountable again to anything, right? Or I look at that and I say, okay, what has this taught me and how can I live on my own and take care of myself based upon the situation that I was in? Um, and so I think that accountability is one of those things that life will help shape it for you, but it is absolutely something that can be taught and coached uh, on, on systems from mentors, from leaders, uh, from people that help you to build systems in your life to make sure that you are taking time to reflect and to learn and to live your commitments and to hold yourself accountable. Uh, so I think it's absolutely both, but some people do have a head start based upon their background and experience. No, I, I'm curious about something else. Um, no, I, I, my background, one of my hobbies, and actually something that I really wanted to be professionally when, when I was growing up, when I was in high school even, I wanted to be a professional football player for mm. Americans listening, soccer player. <laughs> so <laughs> right. so I, I was a playmaker and mm. I would put my heart into the game. And I, I continued being a football player even in college playing for the football team. We played, I started in Denmark, so we played in Syria four of Denmark, almost professional, but not professional. Um, but uh, I was always, I'm always interested when I see one of the candidates applying for a job with, with my team, when they have some team sport experience, usually yes. sport experience, but team sport experience, like something like you know, basketball, football, volleyball, or like something that requires resilience, requires mm -hmm. teamwork, requires not giving up and, and fighting back because, you know, having this background is such a prerequisite for, for a successful team player when you hire them. I wonder what are some of the traits, character traits you look for when you are looking for recruiting somebody on your team? Absolutely. I, and I thousand percent agree with you. I think there's something about team sports that is really helpful in providing perspective and an understanding of both personal responsibility and accountability, but also team responsibility and accountability. I think it's great. And, and the commitment and perseverance and grit that you have to have to be successful um, in professional, semi-professional or competitive sports, I think is also something that teaches a lot of that. Um, for me, when I think about leadership candidates, really, I, I'm thinking about kind of like learning agility first and foremost. What are you doing um, not just to find success in your current role, but like, how are you spending time in your own personal learning? And then how are you taking from what you learn and applying that to what you do? And I think that's something that um, I'm always really conscious of. So I gave you an example. There's many times when people will read a book, uh, they'll, they'll, watch, they'll listen to a podcast, they'll watch a TED talk, uh, whatever. And they'll say like, hey, here's the couple things that really resonated with me. I love this quote. I love this idea. I love this theory. Um, and then they just repeat it, right? Um, and I think of something like um, Kim Malone Scott and radical candor. We hear that a lot, right? Um, and we need to have radical candor. Okay, well, what does that mean? And then, and then how does that live in your business? And how does that live in your team? And, and number one, is your team ready for something like that? And what are you doing to prepare for that? So I think that from a learning agility standpoint, that's what I'm looking for. And, and I'm asking those types of questions of like, when you're investing time in your own development, what, what are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you watching? And then here's an answer. And then, and then, and then how are you applying that to your, to your day job? How are you applying that to what you currently do? And I'm looking to see and understand, am I investing the time in learning? And then am I also applying what I learn? Because that model is super helpful when it comes to the ability to take on more and to learn things and to kind of grow and progress in your career. Um, I think the second thing I'm looking for 
is is genuine empathy um in 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 life and perspective to understand that um people may not see the same may, may not see the world the same way that you do and that people's experiences uh may lead them to see the world a certain way and or will run into certain maybe um we maybe it's hurdles or maybe it's imposter syndrome um, like it could be a lot of things that can impact their ability to show up as the best versions of themselves. So you have to have enough um, understanding of empathy to just dig in to realize that people are very different. And, and as a leader, uh, if you understand that, if you truly understand that, and if you're curious to be able to discover who they are and why they think the way that they think, it's going to be really helpful in helping them to, uh, to grow, to develop, to exceed their own expectations and to, to take 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 risks in learning and in doing things that help them to progress. So, like for me, those are the two really big rocks that I look for is like that learning agility, that ability to truly empathize with people. Um, and then I think the two other examples I look for is is and I believe in leadership is decisiveness and courage. Like you, you got to make a lot of decisions without all the information. And one of the things that frustrates people the most is when you need to make a decision, you're not making it. Um, that, that frustrates a lot of people and then the courage, the courage to stand alone, the courage to push back, the courage to say the thing in the room, um, that people, people might not want to hear, but we need to hear to make sure that the best idea walks out of the room and not the, the loudest idea or the one that people from a group think standpoint, shake their head. So those are some things that I look to from a filter standpoint. And when I look at talent. When I was uh, working for others, I've been uh, I've been running my own businesses for over ten years now. But when I was uh, having jobs, I wish somebody shared with me to go and look for the concept of managing up, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. because I would have been such such a lot more effective employee. <laughs> I wonder if you can if you can share some thoughts on on the concept yeah. of managing up. Absolutely. I uh, well, I think it's um. I think it falls back for me. And again, my my platform from the book is vision, clarity, and support. And I think that those three things, when it comes to something like managing up, are critical. Because first and foremost, um, so if I'm looking to my direct boss in this concept, I want to I want to understand their vision and how are they bringing this to life and 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 what's the work that they want us to do and why do they want us to do work that way? And so I'm kind of curious and I'm and I'm understanding from their perspective what it is the work that we have to do. So I think it's really important when you want to manage up is you have to have a concept and understanding of like their perspective of the work, how they define it, how they measure success um, and, and, and how they would see you in that role. So a question that you could ask somebody and say like, Hey, six months from now, if I'm in this role doing the job that I have, um, what would you say? Like, what are the things that I would have done that in six months from now, you would say that I did a phenomenal job in my, in my role. And let them define for you what they view as your body of work and how that would show up. And that's really helpful in understanding their vision and how they measure those things. So now you have kind of a playbook. And then I think the second part of that is being really clear around, okay, based upon what you're saying here, let me be clear in how and where you want me to spend my time to make sure that I'm achieving that. But also, what are the things that I should expect from you as my direct boss? as far as the clarity that, that, that I should be looking for, what are the commitments that you're making so that I can make sure that we're on the same page doing this work together and being clear about that. Are, am I going to see you every month? Uh, you know, do you want to, you want to connect with me once a week? Um, you know, are, are, are the reports that you want, do you want me to send them via email? Like being really specific in the clarity to again, respect how they do the work. Uh, so that that way you can get to this part of support. 
which is like now that I understand how my boss thinks, now that I understand my preferences that my boss has and how we communicate and how I get this work done, now I, I can be in a space where I can ask them for some support when I run up against hurdles or different places. And they're not questioning, does Lorenzo understand where we're going or how we get there? Does Lorenzo understand the way that I want him to do the work? He, no, no, we've checked all those boxes. Now I can say, hey, Stoyan, I'm, I'm hitting a hurdle here. Like, I know this is what we're looking to accomplish. This is the way that I'm going about doing it. But this is causing me a little bit of a hurdle. Can I get some support here or some advice here? And that helps me to manage up. And so like, that's kind of my advice that I would give specifically on helping leaders to understand how you can build that relationship to make your work way more effective, but also build the confidence in your boss to give you the space to be able to do the work the way that you want to be able to do it. I love it, man. Uh, and if I can add a little bit uh, from a, you know, it's of course a lot easier if the person at the leadership position sets the frame Right. Yes. It comes from them. Of course, it's a lot easier, but it's it's both ways. You can also come from from the employee and the direct report of this person to to start his conversations. But this proactiveness, this ability to take initiative, and and guys, let's be honest, management executives they have so many decisions to make. There's so many things they have to do. It's not an excuse, but if you are the person that shows up and says, "Hey, I need this PDF from you." You said you're going to send it to me. It's not there. I love these people. I love these people. But we need to set the frame that this is okay because they're, they're afraid to, to bother you. Oh, the boss didn't send me this. They're probably very busy. I'm just going to be quiet. And No, no, show up. Show up. Manage me. You know, if you're working with me, manage me. Push me. I love it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's a great, uh, great thing to, to have as a mindset from both sides, I think. I yeah, and, and I think yeah. well, I, I, also, I would add this too is like like how powerful is that if I went to you and said, Hey Stoyan, like I want to be extremely successful in my role. And I want to make sure that how and where I spend my time is going to give us the greatest outcomes for my job responsibility. But I also know that like, you know, if, if I'm doing my job well, that reflects well on you. So I want to make sure that we get some time together so I can better understand how you want me to work, how you see the work, and how we can support one another to get this work done. As the boss, you're like, wow, I love this, right? You know, because you're right. Like the boss really should say, here's the framework of how we work. But based on the team size, based on the complexity of the business, based on the industry, they might not have that time to kind of go that deep with each person. Uh, but by stepping aside and being proactive, that can really, really be helpful. What would be your advice to people who are maybe extremely good professionals, but they, they have a little bit more technical background maybe, and mm -hmm. then they get promoted to a management and leadership position and mm -hmm. uh, they're trying to navigate how to manage and lead people. What would be your advice to them? Start with humility and tell the people that you're scared. If you want to get grace from a team that maybe even you've worked with or that your background is the technical background, tell them that. Show up in that first meeting and say, hey, I am very honored and appreciative of this opportunity to lead this team. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm also a little bit nervous because I want to make sure that I show up for you as the leader that you need. Um, and because my background is exactly what you do or that I have this technical background, my default is probably going to, to step into the work or maybe be a little bit too specific or maybe even micromanage per se to tell you how not just th what the work is, but how to do the work. 
and and telling a team that to say like so as a leader of this team the only way that i get better as your leader is to make sure that you can share with me how i'm showing up and and if i'm doing that for you now like we have a, a job to do we have goals we have expectations we have to meet those right but i want to make sure that as your leader i'm doing it in a way that makes it easier for you to get the work done as efficiently as possible um so i want to tell you that up front and i'm going to build in um, the ability for us to have connections where I can not only share what I'm seeing, especially because of my technical background, I might be able to find things and help you get things done faster because of my my experience. But I also want to make sure that we have time that you can tell me how I'm doing as a leader and what else I can do to help you be successful in your role. So that's my advice. I think we don't do that enough. We we're fearful that if I if I come up front and I'm and, and I have too much humility or if I overshare that people will not have the confidence as me as a leader. But I think what I've learned over time is that that confidence comes from a place of, of mutual respect um, and clarity of what's going on and the human elements and the empathy that, that, that you're asking for while you give empathy to them. So that, that would be my quick advice. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm sure people listening who had that space, and actually I'm meeting a lot of these people. Uh, I've been meeting a lot of these people in the last few years, uh, people who get promoted as managers, and they, they, they want to do their job. They want to be great with their people, but they just don't have the tools, and not every organization provides the appropriate training when it comes to people skills and management mm -hmm. skills. Uh, I guess many organizations prioritize technical training. Of course, there's people training and everything, but... but uh, you know that's why podcasts like this are important. <laughs> so, Absolutely. <laughs> so we had we had a we had a guest, uh, another great uh, leader, Steve Carrigan, who's the the first chief HR uh, at LinkedIn, used to be. So mm -hmm. he joined LinkedIn when. By the way, another great episode. Make sure to go check it out afterwards. Um, Steve Carrigan. So so he he led the organization from the time they were only three hundred and fifty people, and for three and a half years they ended up with 4,000 people. He was the head, at, head of HR. So you can imagine uh, quite an intense period for, for him, 10X plus for yeah. the number of, uh, of heads he had. Now we had a conversation and everybody these days, every leader, every organization is talking about people leaving all the time. You know, people mm -hmm. are leaving and stay at a job a lot shorter, like the tenure is a lot shorter than it used to be. You know, in mm -hmm. some studies that they say that uh, employees at tech companies stay between one and two years, maybe three uh, in the organization. And, and companies are asking the question, how do we keep people at a job? How do we keep mm -hmm. engaged and uh, retaining employees? Because we spend so much time to train them, to incorporate and integrate them and then, then leave. leave. Uh, and I had a conversation with Steve and he was like, well, you know, I talked to executives and I asked them, well, do you think in five or 10 years from now, people are going to stay more or less than mm -hmm. at the moment? 95% say less. Okay, interesting. So we're on the same page. People mm -hmm. are probably going to stay less. Is that the right question? How do we keep people mm -hmm. more? Or is the question, how do we provide the most caring and effective experience for the people having in mind that they're probably going to stay not so long as we want them to be? So yeah. I'm wondering what is your take on that, and and you know on the first side, yeah. how do we inspire people to remain more on the organization? But then, do we have to do that really? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting question because I think that 
the, 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 again, the question is how do we define culture and loyalty to a brand and how are those two things kind of married to one another over time? And I think that's really the much bigger question today is that can you be productive and efficient with people that are, um, like I, I will say, I'll say less loyal because of the amount of uh, willingness they have to leave to other organizations. Um, are, are we solving for the, the cost that you have incurred with turnover? Like, like what's at the heart of what are we talking about? Is the concern that we're going to lose money if we allow people to continue to rotate? Is that what we're trying to solve for? And then it's like, okay, well, if that's the case, then what are the things, the benefits, the opportunities of what are we offering them that is different in the competitive landscape that makes them want to stay to say, I'm not going to get that somewhere else. Or is this about culture building and saying, how do we make people, you know, stay because they really enjoy um, working together and working with this specific group of people or these specific groups of leaders. And on the surface, they may sound like the same thing, but they're, I think they're very different. And I think that what we're learning, especially in the last couple of years here, is that when, when you're thinking about technical jobs and specific skill sets where you spend your time as kind of an individual contributor, you, you are an engineer, you're a programmer, um, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a nurse, maybe you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you have these very specific skill sets that, that don't require necessarily um, a team around you to be really good at what you do. Um, they now have the ability to say like, well, if I'm just going to do the same job, why can't I do the same job over here for either more money or different benefits? And I think that we're going to see this continue to change as people become more and more independent contractors in some of these industries. Because now I can even say, yeah, I, I'll work for this company for six months and I'll do really great work and I'll make the money that I want to make. And then I'll spend the next three months doing whatever I want because I know that my skill set will allow me to be competitive in whatever the next job is that I want to have. And so I think that the, the, the industries and different spaces are battling all of these big things here. Um, and I think that the best chance that we really have uh, from, from, a, from a, a standpoint of like a company wanting to maintain their talent is going to boil down to that leadership element, that leadership space, the, the, the ways in which leaders show up and then understand what is the thing that my, my, my team, my workforce is saying, this is a differentiator for me, right? And again, I, that's what I would be doing in a space like that is I would be surveying and say, hey, we're aware of this and we actually expect this to be something in the future that we're going to continue to work through. So like, why? Why is this? What? Why is this happening from your perspective? What are the things that would make it um, where you would make a decision to either leave, to leave or to stay? What are the things that you'd like to see? What? How do you power rank these things, or why do these priorities matter? And I think what we'll find out is that the priorities that the organizations believe are top, top, top from top to bottom are the things that matter most to the team based upon maybe data they've collected may not be fully matched. With, with the individuals currently right now on the team. And that reconciliation is, I think, what needs to be addressed to figure out what work, what works best for either that company or that industry. So I, I agree that I don't, I don't think it's going to, like, I think it's going to continue to be a thing. But I, I just think that we're, I, I think most companies and industries are too slow to move. 
Uh, and when you talk about changing work culture, work environment and benefits, like these are big, big rocks that companies will usually define out over five to 10 to 15 years. And I think that that slowness to make change is causing it to be where somebody can bounce around um, and find opportunities uh, as other companies are moving either quicker or changing, you know, um, what, what they offer to those employees. And let's maybe let's maybe look into uh, we, we talk about uh, how what are you looking for uh, the kind of traits when you're hiring somebody. But I'm also if we turn it around, what is especially the younger generation of leaders? Mm -hmm. What are they looking for when they're mm -hmm. looking for a potential employer? Yeah, I think um, a lot of what I hear and see is two things. I think the values component is pretty big. Um, a lot of the the current generation want to work for organizations and places where they have where they have shared values and and um, and they understand that like the, the work that I'm doing is meaningful. Um, when 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 you're thinking about long longer term kind of like loyalty and job career growth, then there's another section of the workforce that is just like I want to be able to have a job that allows me the flexibility to live the life that I want to live. That's another thing that we are seeing as well, which is like, look, I think the values are, are important, but also if I can do this job and, and like, and I'll give you an example of like, let's say maybe it's like a, uh, maybe a bartending, right? At a company or, or at a bar or at a restaurant to say like, look, I don't know what the values of this restaurant are, but I know this job allows me to make the living that I want to make. What's also giving me the flexibility that, of how I want to live. And if I, um, if, if I establish myself in this industry, then I have the skill set. I can take this job and I can work this job for a year, 18 months, two years. Then I can take the money that I've saved and then go do some things I want to go do, whether it's travel or start a side hustle or a business and then come back. To the, to the same type of job, whether it's that company or another company. So it's kind of like these two things right now where I'm seeing a balance of both. You've got those that are like, I want to establish a career in the organization. And if I'm going to do that, it has to be kind of like leading through the values of, of the alignment that I have. And then there are those that are just like, I want to do something that I like that's fun, but I'm also like doing this job because I'm trying to fuel the other things that I have in life, whether it's other passions or other businesses or other types of side hustles. Interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> very interesting times, I would say. <laughs> very, very. It's, it is. It's very interesting. And I think it's. Um, I think it's. 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 It's quickly challenging, um, leadership because there's so many things that for decades have been like we don't do that at work. We don't talk about that at work. This is not like this has been this kind of antiquated approaches to how we are just like, you just come to work, you just do the job, and then you just go home. And now um, I think our, our current generation, I think the internet, the workforce is like, no, 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 no. Like, like we, we I, I don't want to just come to work and just do a job. I, I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be a part of this. I want to I want to have an, uh, an opportunity to voice my opinions and, and, and be a part of the work. And, and I want to be respected for the differences that I have. These are very kind of different things that, um, I think are good. I think I think these are good things for leaders because it kind of pulls us back to what we started with earlier. Like it challenges you, challenges you to be to be more empathetic, to have a larger view of the world, to to challenge yourself to have more perspective, to be able to work with people that have differing um, ideals, differing priorities, different differing purposes in life. Yeah, we need to be a lot more adaptable. I mean, if you include the equation, remote work, working mm -hmm. from home, the 
involvement of AI and, and how is it disrupting the workforce? Like there's so many things happening that, that being adaptable as a leader becomes a very important feature. You can't be as used to be, you know, learning to work in this specific system because it's changing and, and leadership is becoming more and more individualized because every person wants to be treated differently. Uh, I I'm not so old to know how was it like 50 years ago, right? But right. but I can Im imagine it was a lot more structured as opposed yeah. to now. Now, now Lorenzo, I, I want to put you into a hypothetical situation. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's imagine that you are joining a new company right now. Uh, as a leader, you have a big team. What are the first things you're going to do in terms of assessing the culture, but also starting to implement new practices in it? Um, I, well, I think first and foremost, leading with, um, with who I am, uh, the, the why that I have of why I do the work that I do, um, leading with my passions and my interests outside of work, and then kind of establishing my larger vision of, um, how I want us to function and be successful as a team. So I think that like, I always start with that vision piece, right? And a part of that vision piece is also helping people to understand that I am, um, very proud of and um, excited to share the things that you see in my background here. All the things that mean something to me, um, I want I want people to know that that, that's, that that these are things that make us who we are, and I want to also understand what those are for you. Um, and then I think it's very quickly moving into a space of exactly what you said, going to the team and saying, "I want to find some space here to talk about this. I I want to be successful in my role." And, and establishing here's, here's what my commitments are in the role that I have. I first want to hold myself accountable and tell you what you can expect from me. And if these things aren't happening, then I expect you to tell me, um, and I'm going to create spaces for you to do so. So again, role modeling what I want to have for, for the team to kind of follow, but, but holding myself accountable first and then getting into the things of like, what's the work that you're proud of that you are doing here? Um, how does that work measure up against the objectives um, or the goals that have been set to you. So like, are you proud of this work? And is it aligned with how we measure success at the organization? And then I want to talk about the pain points. What are the pain points that you're currently feeling and working through? What are the things that you feel are stopping us or slowing us down from being wildly productive? So that first bit of time is really talking to the people to understand how they see the work, what they see in the work, and how are they um, you know, uh, how are they connecting the dots between current performance and, and current performance expectations? And then how are they connecting the dots and the opportunities they see amongst themselves and amongst the team? Because I think that many times what I've realized in leadership is that the answer is already in the room. If, 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 it's, if it's an opportunity, most people know it's an opportunity or somebody knows it's an opportunity. And instead of being the one who's like, I'm here to discover what this is, I'm going to ask the room first. Um, and then say, cool, let me gather all of this. Let me collect this information from you. It's really important to help shape the work that we want to do. Again, here's kind of what I'm committing to. What are the things that you'd like to commit to over the next 30 to 45 days, you know, collectively as a team uh, to make sure that we are working down this path of progress? And then let's follow back up again. And now let's compare what you've all shared and what you're seeing and then what I've seen and what I'm observing. And let's bring this together. Um, that's that would be my approach in, in that hypothetical is is to really be really in, in, in intentional with role modeling, the type of culture, transparency, empathy, 
uniqueness um, that I would want to share with the team, but also helping them understand that they're a part of this and we are a team together. Their success is mine and my success is theirs. Uh, and so we do this work together. I love this advice because not only it's applicable for somebody who's at the at the new role in a new company, but leaders can maybe get some inspiration and say, well, uh, what was the last time that I did this thing in my team? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, absolutely. So, <laughs> love it. Okay. So, um, I want to ask you, uh, you have so much experience as a leader and you're a student of leadership. There's so many books behind you. You're doing uh, a podcast on leadership. You're talking to so many amazing people and observe their example. Um, what are some unconventional practices that you discovered? Either practices that you've you've done yourself, or something that you observed when it comes to, you know, leadership, company culture, maybe caring leadership within an organization. Something practical that uh, people can learn from. Um, I, I just literally had this conversation with somebody last week, and they were asking me about um, kind of like continuing to progress in their leadership, and they were saying like, what what else can I do? And, and, and what I shared with them was, I was like, you have to have a creative outlet. It's something that we don't talk about enough. Um, you have to have a space where you are allowing your brain to just see this massive blue sky to, to, to fully focus on being creative in something, to create something that did not exist before. Um, you did it and that is personally yours and it's a way to express yourself, whatever that thing is, but in a creative way, because that part of our brain when it comes to leadership um, is, is kind of the most at risk when we start to get into kind of like structure and framework and boxing ourselves in and only seeing the job that we have as being measured by the parameters defined by us from an organization or from a leader versus looking at everything and saying, What, what if, what if um, I could do anything here? Well, what, what if, is there a creative way that we could make this work? Is it, does this have to be so either by the book or kind of black and white? What's, what's the gray area here and what's a different approach that we can take? And I think that um, flexing that creative muscle is so important as a leader uh, because it, it then pushes you to be creative in the fact that you're working with people and, and people You know, they require creative um, solutions a lot of times. It's not just as easy as a simple thing. The way that you experience something in your life and another person may have the exact same thing happen to them. But the way that you experience based upon your background, your ethnicity, relationships, whatever, may be completely different. So if I just said that like, hey, you know, um, Stoyan got a flat tire and, you know, got out of the car, changed it himself and was able to get to work, but it was only 15 minutes late, this other person had a flat tire and had never experienced that in their life. And we're, we're like, we're, we're really stressed out about it. There was some anxiety there. You know, they, they, whatever the case might have been, while those things on the surface are the same things, you have two completely different reactions there. And so um, being a creative thinker reminds you to say, well, wait a minute, there, there might be more to the story if I put on my creative hat that I have to be curious about that I need to understand um, before I just make a decision or before I make an assumption when it comes to the people that work within my team. Excellent. 
any any other kind of strategies and practices you can think of and, I, and i'm talking about something like i don't know you do with your team on a weekly basis or you you bring them to lunch once yeah. a month or like like something very yeah. sort of like easy to implement sure. from from so, people listening this is one of my favorite ones um and this is something i i, I got from a long time ago it's like one of those like um how to how to how to problem solve culture creation and it's called bad ideas only so when you have a, a, an opportunity or a solution, when you have something that is important that needs to be addressed and it kind of needs some urgency to it, um, I, there's a thing called bad ideas. Only we say, okay, what's the worst ideas that we can think of to solve this problem? What are the worst ideas? And then people bring them up. And then when we have jokes and then we laugh a little bit about it, I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's a horrible idea. We should never do that, right? But it gets the creative juices flowing and it allows people to understand that um that that it's okay to have bad ideas it's okay to to have a perspective on something or to or to think this is a way to do things because if we don't accept that um then it becomes really hard when we have an opinion and we think that 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 our opinion is getting attacked versus the idea that we have is getting attacked when we have a a debate around a certain solution and so like i like that as a means of problem solving and team building because because you're landing that message of saying like look we can all come up with bad ideas and that's okay and, and we should talk through them and we should you know laugh about them or or or, or chuckle about them um but, but when you have a bad idea in in a meeting that we're having trying to solve something we can just shake that off and move on don't hold on to that don't don't let you know don't don't take those things personal when people don't see it. And if you're in the room and you're like, that sounds like a really bad idea and nobody else says it, then say it, say, Hey, I, I think it's a bad idea. Let me tell you why. Um, and that helps tremendously to build the culture where it's like, we're not allowing these things to happen. <laughs> I love it, man. I'm so implementing this little practice already next week. <laughs> so if my team is listening in, they are, Guys, we're gonna have a bad idea brainstorming. So yeah, get, get ready, get ready for it. Yeah, <laughs> get ready for it, guys. So amazing, man. Uh, the last topic I want to touch upon is is as you know, Lozo, um, me and my co-author working on our second book, which is called "Perform in Times of Crisis," and we're exploring different examples and and mindsets on uh, crisis leadership. So I'm tempted to ask you. I mean, obviously, we're looking at this smiling, handsome guy, a lot of leadership advice. And some people might be like, this guy has no problems. He has it figured out. You know, he hasn't gone through stuff, right? But but I'm sure he do, right? I'm sure you, you, you did. And now my question is, if you can, what would be your advice? Again, the last three years before, it's been very uncertain times and it doesn't seem it's getting somewhere in a more stable place. Like we have to get used to, live in times of uncertainty and crisis what would be your advice in terms of crisis leadership mm. and you're very welcome to share an example or a story mm. now or later i will send you an email but better now yeah. <laughs> with the <laughs> with a situation where I, either somebody did something really bad mm. or you or somebody else did something actually worked sure I, I think i think it's twofold for me i think that um leadership and connection and empathy and the things that we've talked a lot about today are critical for preparing a team for crisis. And I think that's sometimes where we get caught up as we, we talk about crisis management as the thing that we do when the crisis happens. And, and I'll talk a little bit about things that have happened and things that we've done with that. But, but I want to, I want to stick in the space of saying like, 
the the way in which you prepare your team and your leaders for crisis that will inevitably happen is to make sure that you're building this element of connection and and kind of this this looping effect of spending time with your teams and your leaders and asking these types of questions so like nobody wants to talk about crisis per se but sometimes you have to i'd much rather talk about it and say hey what what if this happened what what if one of our marketing campaigns that we put out as an organization in your company um what felt a little bit tone deaf like it came out at a time and 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 it wasn't aligned with what's going on in our culture and we got feedback like this and then you pull feedback that other companies have had based on examples and you say here's the example here was the feedback what what are we doing now to avoid that crisis from happening to us right instead of just reading the article and be like oh my gosh i can't believe that happened to somebody it could happen to you right so what are you doing to learn from the crises that have happened in other places and then what are you doing to take the time to think about what was that response was that the right response the wrong response um how do you work through those situations and how would you work through those situations right now if it happened to us and i mean to the point of saying i'm going to make a fake headline for this meeting for us and i'm going to put it up with our name our company this is what the headline says right let that soak in for a second because that could be real what do we do here and, 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 and more importantly, what can we do now to make sure, again, that that, that does not happen? So I look at crisis um, leadership and, and what are the things that you're doing currently to think about and, and, and prepare for these potentials, but also build a connection with your team so that you're kind of ahead of some of the things that could potentially happen from a crisis standpoint. I think in examples, um, I live in Florida. We've had our fair share of hurricanes. Uh, Chris and I did an episode uh, about this a couple of years ago. Where Once again, um, the podcast is called Hacking Your Leadership. <laughs> Hacking Your Leadership, that's right. <laughs> um, where uh, we read an article about um, a general manager of a pizza company that um, like, was waiting for corporate to tell them they would close their store during a really, really big hurricane that was expected to have a lot of damage. And, um, and, and, and the approach to that was like, no, like, like we're going to keep this store open. And like, it was a, it, it, it wasn't done in a way that showed courage or decisiveness, right? It wasn't done in a way from a leadership standpoint that stood on its own when everything else around you was making this decision. It was a time that was a very easy kind of decision to make, but this leader didn't do that. And then of course, it went viral on the news and in newspapers because the employees were like, like, this is ridiculous. You're putting our lives at risk at a time when everything else is being shut down. Like how, like, how is this not an easy decision to make, right? The, the, the county is saying you cannot be on the roads and then we deliver pizzas. So like, how, how does this work? Right. But it, it, it took this type of thing. And so uh, we did, we talked about this, about like in those types of moments in crisis, the decisions that we make and where are we coming from and what are the values and, and, and how do we, uh, how do we make a decision that while in the moments um, might not fit in the box of how we handle certain things, but it's the absolute right thing to do because you are aligned with the values you are listening to your team and you're connecting with your team. Um, but I also think uh, we've had some other things that have happened uh, in Orlando, like example, the, the pulse shooting that happened at the pulse nightclub a couple of years back. And um, that was a very big community thing. And, 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 and 
we needed to do something. Uh, and as a leader, I felt there was something that we needed to do and we just needed to mobilize. And, and knowing that um, in times of crisis, um, it, 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 at least back then, there were none of these playbooks. Now we're to the point where we kind of have these playbooks and things to do when people to call and resources that you have and, and a lot of different types of things. But back then, there was just nothing that we re really saw like that, that we, that we would handle a situation like that. Um, and so we said, we're going to do something and we're going to go. And anybody who wants to go and volunteer their time, we're going to go help. We're going to go support what's going on around that area. Uh, we're going to work with um, a blood donation um, nonprofit and we're going to donate blood and we're going to ask them what help they might need as the community was showing up to donate blood. They had a lot of extra um, things that needed to happen and we had hands and we were able to go there and help support them and do some physical labor. And so I think that um, for me in the crisis, you have to do something. You have to step out and do something, be creative, uh, make it known what your values are by the, by the actual actions that you take um, and, and do it quickly, respond quickly. I think that's something that um, I think also from a crisis management thing is, is really, really important. Thank you for sharing these examples. And I'm even more excited now to, to continue and to, to, to wrap up finishing the book because it's close to 100% uh, the principles that you share, the principles that we're sharing in the book as well. Um, the, the first chapter is around the, uh, the importance of investing in your people Mm -hmm. And investing in in the values and the purpose and and preparing people for for a potential storm, like you talk about mm -hmm. the pre mortem, right? Like you know yep. what could go wrong. Let's assess it. What could be the impact if it goes wrong? Those kind of things. Direct communication. Show up fast and, and communicate and act fast. You know, pull 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 up the fires. Yes. Cool the fires when they are still small. Eventually, mm -hmm. like all these kind of things. So thank you so much, Lorenz. I think it's a great way to, to wrap up this episode. And I just want to remind everybody, Hacking Your Leadership is the name of the mm -hmm. podcast of Lorenzo, Lorenzo Flores. Uh, mm -hmm. Lorenzo, where could people find you, get in touch on top of the podcast, which, by the way, have more than 7 million downloads. Think <laughs> about it. <laughs> But uh, wh Where else can people find you? And once again, can you, can you show us the book? That you oh, yeah, them? absolutely. What yeah, so the book is here. Yep. Hacking Your Leadership presents Vision Clarity Support, a leadership crash course, a leadership crash course on the three pillars of success. Um, that's available if you just search that on Amazon or if you just go to hackingyourleadership.com. Uh, we have links to the podcast. We have links to the book. We have some surveys that we're kind of always putting up to just hear from people around leadership topics. Uh, and then, of course, just Lorenzo Flores on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on there quite a bit. Uh, we have the weekly leadership, the leadership weekly newsletter. Uh, that we put out every week uh, that you can subscribe to and check out more content that we have. Any final words you want to leave our audience with? Um, just really our hashtag is be a better leader. Take the time to understand the influence that you have on people. Invest in yourself. Uh, inspire, motivate, and develop your people to the best of your ability. You know, Create great relationships And take the time to to subscribe to podcasts like the Productivity Mastery Podcast. Listen to TED Talks, read the book, go buy this book from Stoyan. These are the things that help us to shape our ideas, to solidify the pillars of leadership that we know are the ones that are, that are the most valuable, but also open up our eyes and our minds to new ideas and new concepts that will help us be more successful leaders into the future. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks once again, Lorenzo, for everything that you do. It's been an honor having you on the podcast. 
Keep on doing what you're doing and we'll keep on recording podcast episodes with exceptional <laughs> leaders like Lorenzo. So make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and follow Hacking Your Leadership as well. See you once again next time on the Productivity Mastery Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe to my monthly newsletter by visiting stoeniankov.com and also learn about the Perform Methodology and the Perform Book, as well as our various personal and team coaching offers. Stay tuned and keep performing.